Hello and welcome to Beer and Money, a financial fireside chat for tech professionals. We work to simplify your finances so that you can enjoy your life. Now here are your hosts, Ryan Burkwell and Alex Collins. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Beer and Money. I am your host, Ryan Burklow. With me, to my right, he's staring at me into my eyes, my co-host, Alexander Collins. Hey, everyone. Thank you, Ryan. You're welcome. So, uh, you know, first off, Beer and Money. We call this Beer and Money. So just to catch everyone up, Beer and Money, where it came from, was we actually host different financial wellness events uh, at a campus in Seattle where um, we invite the employees to come out and we help talk to them about financial topics and we have them hold a beer. Not just hold the beer, but drink it as well. <laughs> but the point of it no, is... We're, we're, we're actually maniacal. You can hold it, but you can't drink it. <laughs> Funny how I caught myself. The point of it was is we wanted people to come into a relaxed setting learn about finances so that they can actually take it back and put it into their their personal financial picture. Hence, where beer and money came from. Hence, I'm using the word hence, that's my day, word of the day. <laughs> hence, where beer, beer and money podcast comes from. So that's what this podcast is all about. And we hope you've been enjoying it thus far. We've actually gotten quite a bit of feedback from folks uh, suggesting that we do more around beer um, and unfortunately, we're just limited in terms of what we're allowed to talk about around beer. Although we did enjoy some deliciousness while we were down. We were just in California at a conference. In the Bay Area and, uh, yeah, had some some California beers that uh, unfortunately no longer shipped to Washington. Yeah, I've got – it tastes so good when it touches your lips on my, uh, on my <laughs> mind here. So – what we think, what we're talking about actually down at the conference is we've, we've done a lot of philosophy type conversation, kind of foundational conversation. Um, and one of those conversations was around what we're protecting early on in our accumulation years. Um, and that's, that's the income is our greatest financial resource. Uh, today's conversation, we thought we'd go into the weeds a little bit and talk about product. And I'm sure everyone listening to this podcast will agree with me. It's probably their favorite. Oh, they're just dying to hear us talk about <laughs> the ins and outs of insurance product. Yes. I think they wake up every day about this. So today's conversation, long-term disability. So as we've said before, we work with a lot of tech professionals that were their W-2 employee. And they're given really good benefits. Yes. And these benefits are massively misunderstood. One of those benefits is long-term disability. So when we talk about long-term disability contracts, there's really two main categories. There's group and there's individual. So when we talk about group, and we're going to use an example here of a company that uh, we do quite a bit of business with. Uh, it's in the tech industry here in the Seattle area. What they provide is they provide... 60% of your pre-disability income. Based on salary. Correct. And that is a very, very good distinction to make is understanding the language in the contract. 
So let's give the parameters of, of the contract and then dive into the weeds here. So the, the group policy, you said 60% benefit. 60% benefit from day 90. 180, actually. Uh, you, that particular one's 180. Correct. Oftentimes it's 90. Um, on out to age 65 or 67, integrated with Social Security. So for most of the folks that are in the tech industry, 67. And depending upon what Congress does, potentially later. <laughs> I'm about to sneeze, so he's laughing at me. Uh, correct. And they oftentimes have a cap. So 60% up to a cap of $20,000. Right. Monthly benefit of $20,000. So let's explain what that really means. So I already gave one example of really getting in the weeds. It's 60% of your salary. This does not include any RSU bonus. This doesn't include no stock options. No stock options. Anything that's outside the realm of your basic W-2 salary. If you get a bonus... If you get stock, if you get options, RSUs, there's half a dozen different ways that tech companies will comp you. So oftentimes we're working with a W-2 employee where their base salary might be 95, but once you throw in the RSUs or stock compensation, it might be double that. Yeah. And or so more. they, when we sit down with them, they often say, oh, I've got that coverage. And, and they say 60%. They, have to, they know it oftentimes. And then we ask them 60% of what? And this is where they're like, well, what I get paid? <laughs> and then when we explain to them it's their salary, now they just realized, oh, crap, it's 60% on 95, not 60% on 190. Correct. That's a big difference. Yes, it's a huge difference. And it's also just the tip of the iceberg in terms of the contract language that we care about. So the next bit of contract language that we care about is what's the definition of disability which is huge right like how loose is the you know here's the big difference between disability and life insurance right when 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 you pass away there's no like question of well what kind of death did he have it, it the person's dead therefore you know the beneficiary gets paid out because you know i know that you love when i play devil's advocate the only time that there is any question about whether someone's life insurance pays out is when they have disappeared and there is no body. Yes, Alex. <laughs> We're on the wrong show. You should be on one of those crime solvers shows. Uh, disability. Well, that's a whole different ballgame, right? So definition of disability is different. Is it I can't do my job as it is today? Is it the job of maybe Social Security's definition? Right where I can't work, period. Right. So, what do they mean? What or is maybe their definition? Somewhere in between. Right. So, what's their definition? With oftentimes the group contracts that we see, it tends to be one or two years of what they call true own occupation. Meaning that if you cannot do your job for two years, they're paying it. If at the end of that two years, you can't do your job, but you can do a job, you are now no longer considered disabled. And yes, there are disabilities out there where, you know, you can't ever work again, right? That's part of the reason why people get this insurance. But oftentimes the, the disability numbers that are coming out where it's, I think it's like two out of every three or I think it's some higher number of people getting disabled. It's not those people disabled and can't work at all. 
It's more of, oh, they can only work part-time or they can't do their current job. Yeah. Well, and the, the, you brought up another loophole in the contracts and that is what if you can do your job part of the time, but not part of the time, you know, whether it's uh, headaches from scaring, staring at a screen or uh, some sort of issue with your hands locking up after so much typing, or there's a dozen different things that could pop up, you know, that it's not a constant disability. And there was somebody I was talking to about a decade ago where you know, roughly about 20 to 30% of the time he was flat on his back and could not move. Well, we even had an advisor here that was in a car accident and he could, I mean, you could visibly see him get worn out after about three or four hours. He, he literally worked part-time because you visually saw him just get exhausted. Well, and stop being able to function. Right. So again, these are language inside of a of what they call a group policy, the benefit that's being paid for by your company. And by the way, this isn't necessarily like this isn't a, a bashing that policy. It's a fantastic policy. We want you to understand what the policy is covering, and not just take a blanket statement of "Oh, I have that already." More importantly, what does it not cover? Right. And so those are just some key areas that we see oftentimes that most people just don't even consider. Oh, I've never thought of what's the definition of disability. As soon as we bring it up, like their eyes light up like, oh, crap, that makes sense. What is it? Right. Uh, the, the next thing we have to discuss is what's the taxation of this? Right. So if your employer is paying for it for you, if you go on claim and get paid, that payment is taxable. So I only get 60% of my money and it's still taxable? Correct, because your employer is taking a tax deduction on that. Therefore, the IRS wants paid somewhere. Guess what? It's from you. Can I pay the taxes on what the company's paying on my behalf? So sometimes yes, sometimes no. That depends on the company you're working for. And that's oftentimes a conversation we have is go to your HR department and see if you can do that. And the reason you'd want to do that is if you're paying the taxes on your behalf and you go on claim, now the benefit just became tax-free. So I'm only getting paid 60%, but now it's tax-free. A much lesser hit. Significantly different. We're talking about like dollars taken out of your paycheck, typically, to cover that tax. Oh, absolutely. So that gives you a little bit of a feel for it. We need to understand what the definition of disability is. We need to understand what the definition of income is. We need to understand what happens in the event of a partial disability, or oftentimes that'll fall under what's called residual, where maybe you're out for, you know, six months and then you come back to work, but you're only able to work part time. And the higher income you make, the lesser benefit you're actually going to get because of the cap that's implemented. So imagine if you're making Five hundred thousand dollars a year, or six hundred—you know—some higher number, and the cap is ten or twenty thousand dollars a month. Well, there's a cap. That means every dollar you make over that protection, it, that's now a dollar that's not protected. Yeah, and we'll make the math easy here for the example. But let's say that you have a ten thousand dollar cap in your group policy, and you're making three hundred and sixty thousand dollars. Well, you don't have sixty percent coverage. No, you that's have thirty percent coverage. Yeah, twenty thousand dollar gap per month. So, and the last thing about group, 
as if we haven't beaten it up a bit here, but the policy typically is not portable. Meaning that if you change jobs, you don't get to take it with you. So again, this isn't a beat up session on it. It's just for you to be aware of what the policies that we typically see look like out there. So next step. Well, the good news about group is that oftentimes it's either employer paid or it's extremely inexpensive. So just be aware of these various different things. We'll take as much of the group that's free or low cost as possible and then supplement it with individual. Right. So those gaps that we're discussing, that's something to look at getting a personal or an individual policy for yourself to cover those gaps. For instance, the salary and RSU type structure where it's 60% of your salary, but you're getting RSUs, restricted stock units. So how do we make up that difference in income? Well, that's going out and getting a personal disability policy and then designing that policy to fit what you want. This is the other aspect around disability insurance that's slightly different than a lot of other insurance policies out there. It's not like a blanket policy. You can design this policy to to be what you want it to be in terms of what definition of disability do you want? What elimination period? Like how long do you want to go without receiving a paycheck for it to kick in? How long do you want it to pay, right? Maybe you don't want it to pay you to age 65. You don't want that drastic of a coverage. You only want it to pay you for 10 years, right? There's a bunch of different levers, if you will, that we can design in this policy to affect premium in terms of raising and lowering and designing the policy that makes the most sense for protecting your income in the way that you want it protected. Yeah, well said. That might be the first time ever that you haven't joined in and told me well said. Well said. <laughs> I'm really proud of myself right now. Uh, so moving moving on here. So personal. He, he's literally glowing. Uh, so let's let's talk about the personal side, right? And, and so I brought up a couple of different things we in terms of what we're covering, right? Obviously added income if we have that. The, the the differentiation of how much income is being protected. What the definition of income is. The there. definition, uh, the definition of disability. Do we want it to be a true own occupation, right? Where you can't do your job as, as it is today. And oftentimes in a personal disability policy with specific companies, if I can't do my job today, here, I'll give an example, right? I'm a financial planner. I need typically my eyesight to look at my computer to engage with clients. Yeah. If I lose my eyesight, I can no longer do my job as it is today. However, maybe using Braille or using something else, I could be a computer programmer. That was probably a bad example. My point is I could do <laughs> my my point is I could do a different job. You might be able to teach financial planning sure. in college. The point is, is I can do a different job. So I would get the benefit from my individual disability insurance policy. I'd get that payment. And I can still go work somewhere else. That's a big differentiator because in the group policy, you can't typically after one or two years. Well, you can, the income will just be offset and there's right. factors and percentages and it gets really complicated really quickly. So th that's a huge piece. Now, maybe I don't want that strict of a definition. Maybe I want it to be looser. Again, that's the design of the policy. Then we can add on different riders. A rider is a modification of the base policy. So one of those riders is called a future increase option. And what that is, is 
you know, we ask our clients all the time, hey, over the next 10, 15, 20, 30 years from now, what do you expect your income to do? I've never had actually someone say, I expect my income to go down. We've had one client. I haven't. You have. But my point is, most people say it's going up. Agreed. So if our income is going to go up, that means our coverage might get less and less unless we keep adding additional protection to it. Coverage itself doesn't go down, but the percentage of coverage Thank you for the wordsmithing. Yes. So the point of this future increase option is you can get an additional benefit as your income goes up without having to go back into the medical underwriting that you typically have to do to get disability insurance. And this is massively important because disability is one of the more challenging uh, insurances to qualify for. You know, I can tell you that uh, uh, currently I'm not insurable. I would love to go get a bigger individual policy, but I can't. Yeah, th- it's huge, right? They're not underwriting you whether or not you they think you're going to pass away tomorrow. They're underwriting you whether or not they think you're going to get sick or injured tomorrow. It's a way different un- look at your actual health. Yeah, it, it's morbidity as opposed to mortality, and it's it's night and day different. The the different uh, pre existing conditions, whether it's an illness, an injury, whatever, uh, they're treated very very differently by. Uh, life insurance companies versus disability companies. Another option or rider that you can put on is a cost of living adjustment rider. Inflation, essentially. Like if I were to go on claim, and let's just say my benefit's $10,000 a month, if it's a really bad claim where I'm not going to work for 20, 30 years, that $10,000 a month, 20 years from now, is nowhere near the same amount of money that it was when I first went on claim. Your, your purchasing power is eroded. Exactly. So what this rider does is every year it automatically bumps up what my benefit is. I could choose a 3% or a 6%. And essentially, it bumps it up every year by that percentage to help keep cost or help keep pace with the cost of living. And then we've got residual. So residual with Alex, I'll let you jump in there. <laughs> sure. Uh, so residual, this is where if you're hurt for either completely or partially and you have various contract to contract, but somewhere in the neighborhood of a 10 to 20% loss of income, they will make up some of the difference. If it's 50%, you'd receive 50% of your benefit. So it's not dollar for dollar on the money that you lost. It's a percentage basis. If you lost 80% of your wage, so you made 20%, well, you were able to then receive 80% of your benefit. You don't get the full 100% of your benefit. And it's a bigger benefit than a lot. Of, when I even first heard it, I was like, eh, I don't know if I need that. But when I really stopped and thought about, like, when you become disabled, it's not like tomorrow I stop going to work. It's gr- normally a gradual. No, tomorrow you do stop going to work. <laughs> it's the day after getting back from an injury, you don't go back to work full time oftentimes. Right. Or when I get diagnosed, I don't just like stop going into work because I don't realize that that's occurring. Right. So whatever's happening, if it's health specifically where I'm sick, right, it might be six months in. I'm like, what's going on with me? And I'm starting to miss work. 
because of that. And then the doctor comes and says, I've got X, Y, Z or something's going on. Well, that missed income, now I can actually get back. And so it, it, it oftentimes isn't tomorrow I'm diagnosed with something and then I just stop going to work. It doesn't typically do that. It's a, over a time period that occurs. It can, but it's a, it's a pretty big rider for that aspect. I mean, imagine only being able to work part-time for six months for something you didn't know. Yeah, or I mean, imagine being a, a small business owner you know, you created a, a tech startup and you go out on claim and you come back. Well, what are you coming back to? Like if you're a startup, chances are like you're the income of the company took a major hit if one of the, you know, founding members or the early early employees are, are out on a disability. And so the the income of the company may have taken a dramatic hit. And so now you might be back to work full time. You recovered from whatever it was and you're back to work full time. But your income got cut in half because you lost two major clients or something of that nature. Yeah. Again, this is just income that you were a percentage of income that is lost due to sickness or injury that you were able to get compensated back for. And then the last rider that we want to talk about today is the, well, let's just call it retirement income rider for simplicity's sake. And this is, you know, a lot of our clients are putting money into a 401k or some sort of retirement plan at work. If they were to become disabled and not be able to work. That stops. They can't put money into a 401k in that circumstance. Exactly. And so if that stops, this rider actually not only pays them the income benefit that we've been talking about along, but also puts money into the retirement plan for them as well. Because by the way, either it happened that day or some other day in the future, they're still going to stop working again. Yeah. Not only will it do that, but in addition to that, any money that your employer was putting in on your behalf would get put in as well. Now, this is typically winds up being a little bit less expensive. And the reason being is that you don't have access to the dollars right away. It's put in a trust very similar to like a 401k where you don't get access to it until retirement age. Yeah. I mean, this is a popular rider that I mean, you can actually get a policy just for that alone. You know, people have got, you know, six grand benefit and then they buy a supplemental possibly through their employer or they have a personal disability that they bought five years ago. And then it was brought up to their attention like, oh, well, what about your, your retirement savings? Well, then they just add this as just a standalone policy for that purpose alone. So the takeaways from today are understanding the difference between uh, your group policy and your individual policy, understanding where the potential holes are. And a lot of it deals with contract language. You know, the second thing is making sure that you understand the ins and outs of your contract and how that affects your specific situation. The, the reason why we didn't go into a ton of specifics is that every company has a different policy and policies can vary greatly company to company. And lastly, understanding what the options are for, for how you can go about fixing this. And, and as Ryan alluded to, there are a bunch of different companies out there on the disability side and you've got a lot of different choices in terms of how to structure a policy. Uh, there is no one solution. You know, there's certainly solutions that Ryan and I like better, mostly because it does a better job of protecting your income. And that's usually what we're after is protecting someone's income. But make sure that you're educated. Make sure that you understand what you've got through work and what isn't covered. 
and go from there. Awesome. Well, as normal, we hope you got a lot of value out of this. So hopefully you're able to go back and pull up your own group disability benefit and look at what you've gotten and have uh, some understanding of what it's talking about, hopefully through this podcast. Um, please visit, visit us at beerandmoney.net. Uh, and you can ask us a question there at the bottom of the, of the page there. Um, and uh, again, we hope today's valuable for you. So as always, cheers. This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not to be construed as tax, legal, or investment advice. Although the information has been gathered from sources believed to be reliable, please note that individual situations can vary. Therefore, the information should be relied upon only when coordinated with individual professional advice. Guest speakers and their firms are not affiliated with or endorsed by Park Avenue Securities, Guardian, or Quantified Financial Partners, and opinions stated are their own. Guardian, its subsidiaries, agents, and employees do not provide tax, legal, or accounting advice. Consult your tax, legal, or accounting professional regarding your individual situation. Ryan and Alex are registered representatives and financial advisors of Park Avenue Securities, LLC. OSJ 3585 Maple Street, number 140, Ventura, California, 909-399-1100. Securities products and advisory services offered through Park Avenue Security, member FINRA, SIPC. Financial representatives of the Guardian Life Insurance Company of America, New York, New York. Park Avenue Securities is an indirect wholly owned subsidiary of Guardian. Quantified Financial Partners is not an affiliate or subsidiary of Park Avenue Securities or Guardian. Number 2019-87672, expiration 10-2021.